0: Xavier Rees reminds us that love is an action, not a feeling. The Church of
1: Ephesus had left their first love. The Greek literally says, Your first love you have left or sent away by willful abandonment. No one falls out of agape love. This is the word, God's love. They choose to leave their love. Isaiah put it this way They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far
0: from me. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Having a lot of possessions is not necessarily a blessing from God. In fact, sometimes it's those things that get all of our attention, not the Lord. Today, as he continues his study series in the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier takes us on a visit to the church at Ephesus, and it's here that we learn important simple truths about what happens when we put things before our love for God. Let's listen. As we begin our study of the seven churches, we've seen the two messages
1: of the glorified Christ in chapter 1. Now we uh, will be seeing the Lord's instructions, His warning, and His exhortations to His church. And hopefully you and I will have no doubt as to what Jesus Christ thinks, demands, and expects of His church today. And I say this very critically, and I think the seven messages are very important, because the church is changing so much. There are those in the church from within the church that are corrupting the church, redefining Christianity, what a Christian is, and everything else. And you need to understand this. You need to check everything through the Word of God. The seven churches present four things, and this is uh, straight across all seven of them. They are actual churches that existed in John's day, each of them. Second, they each represent a period of church history, and we'll point that out to you. Thirdly, a type of congregation that can exist through the church age, from Pentecost to the Tribulation, and then also a type of Christian that can exist through this period of church age. And you can take that test. What type of Christian are you? And what kind of church are you in? You get to take the test. You get to correct your own test. And you will find out who you are according to the messages of the seven churches. And so there's also a very um, known pattern that is consistent. Many have used it. And then rather than trying to invent another one, it's very clear, very simple. In all of these churches, there is the proclamation, the commendation, then the condemnation, the exhortation, and the application. The first three churches are called to give ear before the promise, the last four after the promise, and we'll deal with that as we move through. Uh, There are only two exceptions to the rebuke, Smyrna, the suffering church, and Philadelphia, the missionary church, because when you're suffering for Jesus and you're busy for Jesus, you don't have time to mess with petty stuff or get in trouble or be in sin. Simple, okay? Okay. We want to begin by looking at a historical background with information about Ephesus so that because the letter is written with this backdrop so we can better associate and identify what it is. The city of Ephesus, the name Ephesus means desirable. This is relationship to God. Not to you and I, but to God. The city of Pergamos was the capital, but Ephesus was recognized because of the location and its influence. It had over um, a quarter of a million people in population, not a small city. Uh, In 133 B.C., Atlas III bequeathed the kingdom of Pergamos uh, to the Roman Empire. And the city was important due to its being an export center uh, for caravans and landing for Rome. It was located in the mouth of the river Keister. And uh, it had a magnificent avenue, 35 feet wide, lined up with columns, and led all the way from the harbor into the city. Very impressive. Uh, the Roman proconsular had uh, to disembark at Ephesus to enter his province there. So it was a very uh, high, uh, honored, and privileged city. All the trade and travelers from the Caister and Meander Valley uh, Galatia, Euphrates, and the Mesopotamia. They came through Ephesus. It's called the highway to Rome. It was it. It was very busy, uh, commerce. It's almost like the, uh, um, the king's highway over on the Jordan side and the Via Maris over on Israel side. Very uh, strategic area. very busy. Now, Strabo, the ancient geographer, called it the market of Asia. And the Romans called it the light of Asia. Um, it was a birthplace of Homer also. And later on, the Christians were persecuted, and they, um, the believers were thrown to the lions, as you know, and um, for that reason, they were brought through Ephesus. So, Ignatius called it the highway of martyrs. Ephesus was a free city because of the service, uh, service to Rome, and therefore, it had enjoyed a certain type of emancipation. The city had no garrisons posted there, and the people uh, were ruled by their own doing because of the extension of Rome. So they had their own courts, their own assemblies. And Acts chapter nineteen, when the riot broke out, gives us a backdrop of that that they experienced this privilege. The city had a great deal of luxury too. Uh, I was there in nineteen ninety five through the seven churches, and uh, Ephesus is one of the best. There's another one that's so so, but the rest they're not, there's nothing even around them. But it had um, luxurious uh, theaters, uh, bathhouses, libraries, marble streets on the. St- I mean, everything. Incredible! Uh, in the houses, uh, public toilets were running water, different things. It was a, a very wealthy, very luxurious. It's a port city. Now, the city was the center of uh, pagan superstition also, as we see in chapter 19 of Acts and the riot. So, the city was very prosperous, very luxurious, uh, a very key one. And the, the church of Ephesus, as you know, was founded by Paul in Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20, and the Holy Spirit forbade Paul in Acts 16.6 to preach in, in Asia Minor. And he received a vision from the man Macedonia and told him, come over and help us. And in Acts 16.7-10, he went down to Philippi. He saw there, Lydia, other women by the riverside. They opened their heart to the Lord. And then um, he was put in a position of exercising this young woman who was demon-possessed. And when the um, her master saw that their game was gone, they accused Paul and Silas. They beat him publicly. They threw him in jail. At midnight, an earthquake happened. The gates opened up. The jailer was ready to kill himself. He says, do yourself no harm. And uh, then he said, what must I do to be saved? He repented. His whole family was saved. And then Paul moved on to Thessalonica where he preached in the synagogue. But again, trouble broke out. They were rushed down to Berea and then those from Thessalonica went down and continued to persecute them. So Silas And Timothy remained there where Paul was ushered over to Athens, and there he preached in the synagogue, and then then to Mars Hill, to the Epicureans, and to the Stoics in Acts 17. See, if Paul had um, had to make application to the majority of churches today, they would never hire him. He would have to say, well, everywhere I go, I cause trouble. I'm always put in jail. What a different from our ministers and different things in our society today? We have tweaked the church to a Western mindset that's not even recognizable to the scriptures. We, we, we uh, look up to men who are wealthy and they isolate themselves and they surround themselves with bodyguards and, and we think that's Christianity. It's tweaked. Paul then moved to Corinth where um, he um, met Priscilla and Achille. They were tent makers. He established a church at Corinth in Acts eighteen one through 7 and then Paul left by way of Ephesus where uh, he left Achille and Priscilla there to establish the church. And um, he went back to Antioch. Then he returned on his third missionary journey in Acts 19, 8 through 10. And um, he preached uh, for about three months in the synagogue and then two years in the school of Tyrannus, a total of three years there in Acts twenty thirty one. But it was a very, very, very prosperous ministry in terms of preaching the gospel. In fact, Paul, the apostle said, an effectual door has been opened up to me. There are many adversaries. <laughs> today, people say, oh, man, God's opened the doors. Man, our plane reservations went through. Our hotel's good. They're picking us up. No attack. Paul would say, what ministry do you have? He looked at it the other way. If God's in it, there's people going to be upset. Lives are going to be changed. So the gospel's tweaked today in many different ways. It was a religious city, the religion of Ephesus, Diana's fertility goddess, Artemis, see their name, and a multi-breasted statue that fell from Jupiter, 1935 of Acts tells us, an ugly thing. Uh, she had a treasure city, a museum, the priestesses who, like the Corinthians, were prostitutes to build revenue, and the temple was also a refuge city for all criminals So a city rose up next to it, as usually uh, religions are a refuge city for many criminals, sometimes harboring them against, uh, from the law, harboring criminals. God never does this. We're new creatures. You commit something worthy of death. I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Hopefully you repent, but you still have a consequence to pay. You'll be put to death here, right? Okay? You don't just get to slide. Okay? Very, very important. The commerce of Diana, again, was affected in Acts 19 because Paul preached and people quit buying their little idols. So this is the historical information about Ephesus to give you the background so we'll better understand the message. The message begins in verse 1 here. You have the proclamation to Ephesus. The identity of the recipient of the letter is to the angel of Ephesus. Now, we've gone through this before, especially in the first two messages, the word angel, angelon, messenger, envoy, uh, is sent to an angel, is sent to a man. Well, certainly we see that the preachers were men, not angels. 186 times in the New Testament it appears. 76 of them are found in the book of Revelation. The majority of them are angels, but the context is going to determine which one is which. Here it has to be men because men are the ones who preach, men are the ones who pastor, not angels. Okay? And um, the name of the church, Ephesus, again means desirable, as we've noted. Okay? Desirable to God. And the word church is ecclesia. It's almost the same as the word in Spanish, iglesia. Ec, out, kaleo, to call. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. We are not the same. We understand that Christ died for us. We understand that no longer can we live to ourselves. We understand that he's forgiven our sins. We understand that we don't submit ourselves to anything that's not biblical. We run everything through the scriptures. The church is not the building. You are the church. I am the church. When Jesus returns for his church in the rapture, the people are going up, not the stinking buildings. They can have the building. Listen, when the rapture happens, people are going to be very happy. They're going to have a lot of goodies left behind. The church was an evangelizing church, notice. And without doubt, it could have been one of the biggest. But that's not necessarily true. Okay? But it is true for the last days. The churches that are growing in the last days, and Jesus said, the mustard seed will be those who are not following Jesus, those who are compromising the word of God. They're the ones that are going to grow. As you look at the emerging, look at the seeker-friendly, you see them growing at least in balance. Why? Because they don't deal with sin, you don't deal with this, you don't deal with that very friendly, very non-threatening, very politically correct. So you have pastors cussing from the pulpit. You have pastors drinking with their elders, having beer bashes. My Lord, if there's cussing and drinking from the pulpit, what's going on in the pew? That's what I used to do. Don't call yourself a Christian. You're still living like a pagan. It's amazing to me. The church has lost the fear of God. Now notice the command is to write, It's repeated to every church. It's an imperative command. So every church gets the message and all the messages in the book of Revelation. Now notice the identity of the writer is Jesus Christ. So the words are the words of Jesus, not John's. These things says. So the chain of command we got in chapter 1, verse 1. God the Father to the Son, to the angel, to John, to us. Chain of command. Chapter 1, verse 3. The blessing is the one who reads The book of Revelation. So don't let nobody tell you that you're not old enough in the Lord to read and to study the book of Revelation. Now, notice two characteristics identify Jesus here. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That goes back to chapter 1, verse 16. All the identities of Jesus come out of chapter 1. So we're not left to our subjective interpretation. The right hand speaks of authority and power and rule. The mystery of the seven stars, notice again, is explained to us by Jesus in chapter 1, verse 20. The angels are the seven churches. So we're not left to our own. The word holds, when used in the genitive case, the Greek scholars tell us, express a part of the whole you are holding. But in the accusative, as it is here, it means that the whole object is being gripped in this context. The church is to be under his control. The church does not belong to me, does not belong to you, does not belong to any pastor, nothing. The problem today is too many pastors think the church belongs to them. The people belong to them. The checkbook belongs to them. God help them. We are stewards and we're going to have to account for everything we do. With you, to you, and for you. Next he says, he who walks in the midst of the seven golden stands." The activity of walking speaks of observation, penetrating awareness of all that goes on. Nothing is hidden from him. So when we go to prayer, we think we have to give God information. He doesn't need our information. None at all. Jesus is the risen Christ in the midst of the seven lamb stands and the high priest of heaven, Revelation 1, 12 through 14 told us. This is the one. Don't lose sight of that as we've already studied that. This is the one who's giving the messages now to the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches, Revelation 1, The risen Lord is coming. That's the message of chapter 1. He's glorified. He's ruling. He's waiting to come back again. Are you waiting for him? Are you expecting him? So the proclamation to... Ephesus here. Now, thirdly, you have the commendation now to Ephesus. They were doing some good stuff. Verse 2 and 3 and 6. In verse 2, Jesus knew what they were doing in the present and what they had done in the past. Nothing again escapes him. The word to know, it means intuitive, intellectual knowledge, to understand and to perceive. The word works refers to that which they had been occupied in and were undertaking to do. Jesus used the same word, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew five sixteen, Same word. And the word labor, it refers to their passion in their toil to the point of exhaustion, passion. Do you have passion for the Lord and the things of God? If you do, it's because that's your priority, the kingdom of God. And you're so in love with the Lord that we're going to see here. Their patience refers to their en- endurance, their attitude of commitment, their consistency despite the exhaustive toil. Now, we get tired in the work at times, but we never get tired of the work. There's a big difference. Their ability to bear those who are evil was noted. They could not bear them. That's good quality. It means to receive, to tolerate, to support evil people. So much of the church is tolerating receiving so much evil today. Thousands of people accept the teaching that Jesus Christ went down to hell to pay the atonement, finish the atonement, and pay the debt to Satan by the positive confession people. Fred Price, Copeland Company, and all the boys. Blasphemous. To believe what Rob Bell says, that everybody is saved at the end. Love wins out at the end. And yet thousands of people who call themselves Christians are following these men. Their, their philosophies. The word for evil refers to that which is good for nothing, for what they should be good for. A perfect example would be a soldier who is a coward or a teacher who is a deceiver. They were prepared, but they were good for nothing in what they were prepared to do good. These are believers. Unless you want to accuse Jesus of speaking to non-believers about the responsibility he's given to believers. Which way you want it? Notice their commitment was to always test those who say they were apostles. The word test simply means to scrutinize, to discipline at times, In 1 John 4, 1, you test the spirits. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Corinthians 13, 5, through the motive of love, always. There were requirements for apostles, as you know, signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Hebrews 2, 4. The early church had the dedication, the teachings of the apostles, and they laid certain things down because there were a lot of itinerant pastors, uh, apostles, and so-called prophets going about. And they would come in and rip off people. So uh, some of the things I've given to you before, uh, a few of them was that if you came in and said you were a, a prophet or an apostle and you declared, you know, God says the Lord, you're supposed to have a feast tonight while I'm here. They would go along, we'll have a feast, but you can't eat of it, okay? And if they ask for money, for sure, kick them out. What does that say about all radio programs? What does that say to the television ministers that beg and beg and beg? What does that say to ministry that spends so much time harboring and hammering people for money with their funds and their programs? We tell people how, what a great God we have, how powerful he is, how good he is, and then we say, "God, he's, he's broke. Really? My guy's not broke. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, well, God guys, he provides. I still live by that. Being a poor city had many deceivers. Why? Because in poor cities, you have people coming in, right? Much corruption, everything else. You go to San Peter, you go to San Diego, Port City, sailors are out for a long time, they come in. There's prostitution, there's drugs, there's you name it, okay? Corruption. This is Ephesus. It's an incredible, luxurious port. The form of the word liars here appears two other times in Acts six, thirteen and Revelation 21.8. Not the liar will enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is done in secret, God knows. Everything's open to him. Look at verse three. Jesus knew what they had done was out of right motive, so they're commended Is it they, for His name's sake. They had persevered for His name's sake. They had patience. They had labored to the point of exhaustion. They had um, not become weary. And there's a play on words here between this verse and the previous one. They were able to bear the exhaustive toil of ministry in his name while not able to bear those who were evil. That is so good. So many people are, are, are commended for their intellectual abilities and, and able to market things and to organize people and to, and to gather an audience. But what's the content? What, is this, the, 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 what are you giving out? Is it biblical or is it not? We settle for motivational speaking. Weary, it means to faint in the past to the present. It's the perfect tense. They were not faint hearted to faint in the work. Why? Because what they were doing, they were doing out of love for Jesus. Let me tell you if you do anything apart from love, they'll come upon you and say, you know what? I am tired of this. I am not doing this anymore. Because you will be loving yourself more than others. It just happens. Look at six. Jesus knew what they hated. They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, there are many different views about the Nicolaitans, but there really is not a lot of information about them. There's a lot of suggestions, opinions. But the best way is to take the word. It's made up of two words. Uh, Nikoa, which means to conquer. You get uh, a different form, Nike, victor, uh, from, from the tennis shoes, victorious. would so be a victor. And then um, uh, Laos, and you, you've ever heard of Laos, Vietnam? Uh, it's called the people, Okay. So you put them together, it's uh, the conquering of the people. So it's believed it's some hierarchy that was set over the people, such as priests and cardinals and pigeons, pigeons bishops and popes, pigeons too, and... Uh, and robbing people of their spiritual relationship with the Lord. You want to destroy Christianity? Do what Constantine did in 312 after 312. He took Christianity, he forced everybody to become a Christian, stop persecution, and made it a state church. You kill it. Lording over the people. Nobody lords over the people of God. Jesus, the head of the church. Some believe that Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, perhaps, is in reference to Irenaeus, how that? But we're not sure. He uh, was alive in 31 AD. This is 95 AD, so we're not sure. But certainly we can understand what the problem was with uh, the word. The church of Ephesus had left their first love. The Greek literally says, your first love you have left to depart, to go or send away by willful abandonment. No one falls out of agape love. This is the word, God's love. They choose to leave their love. You can fall out of lust, but not out of love. You grow in love. Isaiah put it this way. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah 29, 13. Jesus quoted in Matthew 15, 7 through 8. The failure to cultivate one's relationship gives way to one's selfishness and other rivals. The failure to maintain one's passion brings one to a place of indifference and unappreciativeness of valuing the one that God has given to you. Shame on us. The context is your love to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's first prayer to the Ephesians was that they would be grounded and rooted in love, that they might comprehend with all the saints the width, the length, the height of Christ's love which surpassed all understanding in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. The past and great work was commendable, but they had lost their passion for the Lord. Now, instead of being out of love, it was out of duty, which is always a horrible thing. The excitement, the freshness, the fervency, their love had dissipated grown cold. How's your love for the Lord?
0: Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us with today's simple truths that our devotion to the Lord begins in the heart. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now you can request a CD copy of today's convicting study from the book of Revelation as well. It's called The Loveless Church, Ephesus. It's available for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to share with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. The title to ask for once again is The Loveless Church, Ephesus. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 926 1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. For many years, the number one selling book has been the Bible. But why isn't the Word of God impacting our society? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese as he takes us on a visit to the church at Ephesus. That's right here next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com